Hey guys, Mike Wolf here. Welcome to the next market podcast. Boy, it feels weird to say that. This has been like a year. It's literally been a year since I posted one of these. And this is a podcast that I get a lot of requests to, to do. It's been dormant for a year and partly because just to take you back in time a little bit, this was a podcast we used to do where I would interview leaders in various technology spaces in the media. I mean, I had Marco Arment, Adam Carolla. I had, I, I had Ira Glass on this podcast, which is kind of crazy uh, because I kind of consider him the podfather. Although maybe Adam Carolla would argue that he's a podfather, but uh, some of my favorite people in tech, in media and podcasting, I had Jim Bankoff from Vox before they ever really got into podcasts telling me why they weren't interested in podcasts. And now look at them. They bought Recode and they're doing podcasts like crazy. So this podcast has actually been uh, one of those uh, that was fun to do. I had a lot of listeners. We have like 700,000 followers on SoundCloud. It kind of got crazy, but I got busy, had other podcasts to do and got away from it, but I missed it. I missed talking to leaders in tech media. So I figured why not bring it back and why not start with someone like Mark Cuban? Part of the reason I wanted to catch up with Mark is he's been very active lately on Twitter in this political season, talking about Donald Trump as well as Hillary Clinton and just putting his opinions out there in the public space. It became clear to me that he's actually actively raising his profile a little bit, possibly uh, even putting himself out there uh, as someone who would consider office. And he's even said he would consider being on a ticket with either Trump or Hillary. Now, who knows if that'll happen? I asked Mark about that. Asked whether or not he'd be interested in running for president himself. We also talk about Shark Tank and uh, talk about some of his most successful investments, some of the investments that he's missed and whether or not he regrets those, and what technologies excite him and, and scare him a little bit. This is a wide-ranging podcast, folks. It's like 40 minutes. I want to thank Mark for coming on the podcast. I want to thank you, longtime listeners of the Next Market Podcast, for coming back. And uh, stay tuned. We'll hopefully have a new podcast out every probably two weeks or so, two weeks to three weeks. Uh, we got to start slow. We don't want to like sprain anything. Uh, don't want to hurt any muscles that we haven't stretched for a while. And then maybe we'll get uh, more regular on this. But uh, stay tuned. Find the Next Market Podcast at technology.fm. Also find us at iTunes or your favorite podcast spaces as well. That's it for now. Here's my conversation with Mark Cuban. Glad to have you on the podcast. I don't know. You probably don't remember this because uh, I'm not famous, but uh, I actually bumped into you. This was like before the Shark Tank days. Uh, it uh -huh. was in Las Vegas at a Real Networks event. I don't know if you ever go into these like Vegas parties that these corporations throw. Right. And go on the Real Networks. That's going way <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah, that's going way back. I think like Huey Lewis or Eddie Money were playing. Yeah, actually, it's Huey Lewis. Yeah. I get a mix up because I feel like I feel like – I feel like Eddie Money's kind of the poor man's Huey Lewis, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> the same difference, right? Yeah, exactly. It's two tickets to paradise. Yeah, we did like the kind of the the guy nod that you, you do, but uh, I, I didn't want to when, when uh, you're doing the white man overbite. Yeah, dance. yeah, I didn't want to bother you because uh, you know you probably have better <laughs> things to do than talk to me. But but let's get going and, and talk. You know, you said you're open to talking about anything. I wanted to talk yeah. to you about politics because you've been uh, a little bit more kind of vocal out there on Twitter, uh, etc. Yep. You know, this is like a. I would characterize it as a change election. There's anger on both sides. People yep. seem so angry. Why do you think people are so angry? Because the politicians haven't done their job. I mean, there is so much partisanship, so much tribalism. You know, the Democrats don't want to help the Republicans. The Republicans don't want to help the Democrats. All of them make promises. All of them lie. And for so long, we've just accepted the lies and said, okay, let's just hope that they'll, you know, they'll be able to pull it off. And you get to the point where you realize that they're full of shit. And at that point, you know, and I think we've reached that point and you're starting to get voters saying, you know what? I don't want what we had before. I want something different and it couldn't be any worse than what we have now. So I'm going to go in a different direction. It seems like there's a lot of anger on both sides and, and while they're at opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, Donald and, and Bernie, it seems like 
maybe at the root of both of their complaints and, and their appeal is they're pointing to economic displacement. There's a lot of people feeling yep. displaced out there. Um, Donald points to immigrants. Bernie talks about greedy corporations. But, you know, I come uh, from technology. You come from that as well. And I, it feels mm-hmm. like one thing they're not talking about is the displacement through the advancement of technology. You know, you first saw automation yep. hit the factory floor. It's starting to hit the service sector. Eventually, it's going to get to desk jobs at some point. Yeah, there's no question. You know, software and robotics are going to eat the world, as Mark um, Andreessen says. And it's coming. You're going to have you know autonomous cars, autonomous buses, um, sensors tracking things. You know, you've already seen the displacement of, you know, secretaries and receptionists. And, you know, when you go into retail stores now, things are being um, done more on an automated basis or even self-service. And so it's it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And that's one of the reasons I've injected myself because both all three candidates are technically illiterate and have no clue when it comes to any of this stuff. When you talk about automation and kind of the, the advancement of technology eating jobs, as well as I think the increasing globalization, which I think kind of ties in a little bit to Donald Trump's message, as you know, Thomas Friedman would say the world is getting flatter, meaning more competition. I mean sure. I don't know if politicians can solve these problems. It seems like we're getting beyond problems that they can solve. Um, well, the ones we have now, it doesn't appear that they can because they don't talk to each other. I mean, the first step is you, you've got to talk to each other. And again, that was one of the reasons, you know, I interjected myself because as an independent, I have friends on both sides of the aisle and I don't have to, you know, be beholden to party dogma um, from either side. And so and to, it's, it's not that they're they're not intellectually capable for the most part. It's just that if you are going to be held up to ridicule, ridicule if you do something that is not, you know, what your party says you're supposed to do. And obviously Trump is a little bit um, outside of that, but for everybody else, then you're not going to accomplish anything and you're not going to be able to take on complex problems. And, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the world being flat. You know, the, the Federal Reserve Banks and the, the central banks around the world, they're all in new territory. They're not, they used to be confident of cause and effect. They no longer are. And so it's a dance between them all and, and it's a, it's a very sensitive dance and a tenuous dance. And with, you know, I don't think the candidates fully understand that either. And so, you know, you get different types of talks of protectionism. You get, you know, from some on the right that we need to get rid of the Federal Reserve or, or worse, go back to a gold standard. And so, you know, it, it's obvious that they don't understand what's going on. And, and it's that that puts everybody in a difficult position and, and creates complete uncertainty, which is bad for everybody. You kind of alluded to this when you talked about the dissatisfaction with the existing political systems. I really feel like we're in a period now of accelerating political destabilization. And, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, that could be attributed somewhat to the internet and the ability to share ideas and form movements across borders real easily. You know, part of it is just partisan oriented media and the decline of the fourth state. But I mean, is there anything you can re- do to reverse this or are we on this trajectory where just political systems are going to continue to destabilize? No, I think it's the exact opposite. I think that um, what we're seeing now in terms of the craziness um, in this race is going to hopefully propel folks to create, uh, you know, more parties. I mean, the libertarians are finally getting taken at least, you know, partially seriously, yeah. you know, and so you're starting to see Gary Johnson step up. And I think there's an opportunity um, to take that even further. I know um, I've had discussions with different groups that are starting to get involved in changing the ballot access laws because they're just, you know, they're ridiculous and they're slanted. Um, you know, in the state of Texas, you have to get 50,000 signatures. Yeah. In the, the state of Pennsylvania, you know, you can, the Secretary of State can shut down pretty much every, anybody. And, you know, there's just a ruling where it changed it to a certain extent, but it just goes on and on and on on a per state basis. And it, it doesn't mean that somebody with a lot of money like myself or Michael Bloomberg or whoever, or a group of people couldn't get on ballots and do the work, but it means we're not getting the best and brightest to run for, for national office or even state office because there's such a dramatic hurdle for them to overcome. And so this craziness, I think, could lead to changes in those ballot access laws as, as um, citizens stand up and say, you know what, we need to open the door so that anybody can run for office because then we might get some smart people. Is it? I mean, someone was saying to me yesterday that we're almost in the middle of 
uh, the analogy was to a forest fire and Trump's like the, the match. I mean, are we at the beginning of a renewal cycle where we're going to kind of burn down the status quo uh, and kind of maybe like you because that seems like you're pointing to maybe more of a renewal cycle. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's a great question. You know, everybody's trying to figure out what the implications of, of Donald Trump's candidacy right, are, right. you know, particularly as it applies to the Republican Party. And, you know, yeah, with Bernie, I'm not, you know, to me, Bernie is not as far from Trump in terms of approach as some people think. They're on opposite sides of the spectrum in some respects, um, politically or, or, you know, for, for different issues. But Trump has no substance to anything he says. Bernie has no substance for anything he says. You know, Trump talks about a movement. Bernie talks about the movement. <laughs> yeah. None of them are really movements because in a movement, you get people that are so inspired by the leadership, they take on the cause themselves and start taking action themselves, forming groups, you know, having demonstrations, whatever it may be, independent of the candidates, independent of the leaders. They are so moved, right? You don't see that with Bernie. You see people showing up. You see them getting fired up. But how many people have taken on initiative? And it's the same with Trump. You know, the most initiative they've taken on either side is to protest in, you know, sometimes, you know, violent fashion, which is not good for anybody. You know, with Trump, I'm actually beginning to doubt, you know, half jokingly that he actually wants to be president when he doubles down on, you know, when he's the presumptive nominee doubles down on what is obviously a losing strategy around attacking judges. Um, it, it tells me that maybe he thinks the alternative, which is the continued litigation around Trump University, Actually, maybe worse. There seems like there's a, ca a calculation there because no, he seems like he's no, doing damage. No. You don't think so? Yeah, no, no. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't talked to him recently since I've been slamming him. But um, prior to that, I, mean, I would, I would talk to him or, or be his assistant, share emails because he doesn't email directly. Um, and when he first got into it, there was uncertainty. But and, and I'm interjecting my own thoughts here. Yeah, but yeah. I think because of his age, I think he realized this was his last shot. I think that also applies to Bernie. Why is Bernie staying in so long? His Not age, because yeah. of the movement, because of his age. This yeah. is his last shot to be relevant, right? And Donald and Hillary, the same thing. And so um, with Donald, though, you know, he said, I don't know how far we're going to go, but I want to play this out. Um, but he was self-funding. And self-funding initially was a great marketing option because he knew he could he could get on media at will, Um which is a concept I, I completely understand. It's straight out of the sports playbook. Um, because he can get on media at will, he knew he wouldn't have to spend a lot of money, and we even talked about that. And so, you know, then things started to catch fire for him because he was the anti-candidate, and all the people who were mad, you know, banded behind him. That They were his tribe, and he was their leader, and that worked out well for him. Now, right, now he's had to file his FEC um, financial statements. And it took me about 30 minutes to get to the relevant parts in a statement. But you can see what his liquidity is. And so as of May, whatever it was, 27th, 26th, whatever the, the date of, of um, filing was, he had at most, at most now, $165 million in liquid assets. And that was after having spent $45 million, which was the same amount um, that um, Mitt Romney spent in 2012 for his out of his own pocket for his entire candidacy. So if you think about it in Trump terms, I was at 200 million. It's obviously less, right? At most 200 million. Now I just blew 25% of my cash because I don't care how much you say you're worth on a, on a balance sheet. What really matters is cash. How much do you have in the bank? And so he self-funded and oh my God, he won the nomination. Now <laughs> yeah. what happens at that point? Think of it in terms of, you know, follow the money. Right. Now, all of a sudden, the Republican National Committee, who, you know, hadn't been really raising, they didn't know who the candidate was, and, you know, last, last filing, they had $17 million in cash. Now, traditionally, they're responsible for running the candidacy, right, running the campaign. And they're pretty much traditionalists. They had their... Well, well, their autopsy after last year, where the Democrat or last election, where the Democrats handed it to them, and and they they understand now, hope or they think they do, what's involved in a in a true ground game to get people out to vote, which is damn expensive. Yeah, really, really expensive. So going into this election, everybody talked about this being a billion dollar election, right? And last election was close, and so if you got seventeen. 
And let's just say because of Donald Trump's media ability, you're not spending a billion. You're spending $600 million. How do you make up the difference? Well, how do you? <laughs> That's the, the $600 million question yeah, yeah. because Donald doesn't have the cash to pay for it out of his pocket. And I guarantee you he is guarantee it that he is feeling that pain and that's what's making him nauseous every day because you know you still hear him talking about small staff you hear you know they're just rumors so who knows if they're true about him not wanting to hire as many people not having the then they don't have the budget and then in complement to that he's out there doing what they want the candidate to do and that's raise money raise money raise money but my guess is and again this is just a guess it's going to be far more difficult for him because of his who his real followers are. They're not the people with money. They're not, you know, they're you know. I'm not saying they're poor, but they're they're true middle yeah, class. Yeah. And um, the traditional party givers, he doesn't have them all. You know, it's not like Mitt, not Mitt Romney's network is going to jump in behind him. Yeah. And so there's going to be a shortage of cash or a shortage of execution to match the cash they've been able to raise. And now you're Donald Trump. The RNC is saying, Donald, you've talked about self-financing. We need you to write a check. And, oh, by the way, in the back of your mind, you've got a $40 million lawsuit about Trump University from the attorney general, and you're pissed because the ruling from the judge on Trump University, even though a lot of it went in his favor, it separated damages from um, the the, I, I'm not the lawyer, right? But they separated the damages out so that they're going to first determine if there's liability right. and then determine if there's damages. But you know that if there's damages, you might have to refund everybody in a class action suit plus legal fees, and I have no idea if, they're, if they can trouble it for damages. I don't know if that's applicable. But that's another $80 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you see, so like, you, see, you, see well, you see how he's terrified about yeah. all this stuff, right? And and if you're Donald Trump and your whole persona, your whole, you know, you, you, you've heard the set, the the saying he, he thinks he's, he's a legend in his own mind. Yeah, that's that's who Donald is. He's a legend in his own mind. And if all of a sudden the one thing that you truly have valued, cash, is disappearing before your own eyes, it's going to freak you out. Now, at the center of his entire identity um, is the fact that he's. Rich, he talks about it constantly. You know, you you're kind of in a unique position because there's only like a thousand. I don't know how many billionaires are there in the country. Maybe a thousand, know. but you're one of a handful. So you're somewhat inoculated. And I haven't actually seen him respond to your your criticism. Is that why you decided to kind of talk about maybe he's not quite as as rich? Well, as I he get is? it, right? I know what he's thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the things you know that might cause me stress. Right, and you know, and there's a difference. I have more money than I can spend. Right. I, I run businesses to make money. I don't run businesses to squeeze every penny. Um, you know, I see why he's litigious. I know people like him. Um, but that's not me. I've been sued a couple times, but not many. And I think I've sued people twice other than various, you know, someone didn't pay their bills or accounts receivable yeah. stuff that I'm not even involved in that just happens. Um, and I've been sued by patent trolls. So, I mean, you just see the desperation in a lot of the things that he does. And, you know, when you reach a certain, when you reach a certain age and wealth, and I, and I've said this to him on the phone call and, and he agreed this, you lose some piss and vinegar. In other words, that mindset you had when you were 25 to just dig in and work 20 hours a day, you know, for seven straight years, like I did, um, you don't have that because you don't need to have that. And so for the position he's, he's trying to get, at least to a certain extent, you have to have that. And I think that's also part of what he's, he's wrestling with, with the amount of work that's involved to do what he needs to do and cover all the bases he needs to cover and do them in a way that literally, again, I'm speculating here. All I have is his FEC filings and, and conjecture and speculation. But he could run out of money. He could run out of cash. And he said, you know, I can borrow more. He doesn't want to borrow more. He already owes a shitload, <laughs> yeah. right? And so if you're Donald Trump and you literally could run out of cash over the next five months if you, if you spent what you know you need, you, have to, you need that you have to spend, if you spend what you know you have to spend, right? can't spit it up, then wouldn't that be scary? Yeah. Now you turn into you. You've been actually uh, – I've heard, I've read – 
and you can maybe confirm this, you've been recruited possibly as a third party, party candidate. I don't know if it's part of the, yeah, never. I have people reach out to me. So, and yeah. how do those conversations go? Isn't it just, no, no, thank you. No, it's like, look, we're, you know, there's some folks that I'm working with that have interest in you being a third party candidate. And my response was, it's too late and I'm not ready to go through that grind. And that was it. Now you said you're not ready to go through that grind. It's, it's too late. What are you saying that at some point, 2020 or sometime in the future you'd consider running? It depends on the circumstances. I hate politics. I've, I've said that many times over the years, but we've never been, as you and I discussed earlier, never been in a situation like this before. And so I think I have a, a I won't say unique skill set, but I have a, a perspective that I think adds value to what's going on. And so, you know, I, I truly believe that I can add more value to this country by not being the president and supporting entrepreneurs and investing in entrepreneurs and helping the economy grow and creating jobs. Um, I think that adds more value, but if it's, you know, if it's a mess, that's a different set of circumstances. And then, then I'd have to consider it. You know, we've increasingly seen, you know, we've heard about this, like billionaires possibly running, you know, is Michael Bloomberg for a while mm -hmm. and Donald Trump's maybe the first, you know, possibly you at some point in the future, um, on one hand, you almost have to be independently wealthy to run if you're not part of the the, the political system, um, you know, like Hillary, Hillary obviously is. So, is that is that a good or bad thing? Obviously, you're in a unique position. Horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> so you're self admit you're admitting that it is a bad thing. It's oh, it's horrible, right? Again, we, we referred to this earlier. We are in a scenario now where the best and brightest of our country can't run for office. If there's somebody who, who everybody says, that's the girl, that's the guy, whoever it may be, they've got it. They've got the leadership quality. They've got the charisma. They've got the brains. They'll do the work, right? It's almost impossible unless they grovel up through the party system. And that's why, as I said earlier, you know, I'm working with people to try to change the ballot access laws. I'm discussing with other people to create an independent party that, basically has open primaries for anybody not part of the two-party system. You know, if the Libertarian Party wasn't already um, issue-driven, right, where they have specific issues, you know, get rid of government, don't do anything overseas, et cetera, then they could have been a host for it, but that's not who they are. So you need somebody that's not, that doesn't have really a platform at all, but it's an open slate so that, the party itself, call it the independent party, just for, for lack of a better name. The independent party goes through the process of getting on all the ballots for all the different um, positions. And then rather than saying, this is our platform and we're looking for people to lead with via that platform, you just have open primaries. You come in and you state your platform and the party isn't really a single issue party or, or a set of, you know, we're not progressive or we're not conservative, but we're open-ended then, you know, I think that might not solve it, but um, minimize the problem and offer better candidates. Now, you, I think, have said in the press that you're open to being, and I, I think I just read this, you can confirm it, you're, uh -huh. you would be open to be on either ticket, which yep. to me, because they're so different, how do you, how could you possibly stand that? You may differ from Trump on just like so many ways around his. his oh, lead. exactly, because they're so different. <laughs> right. Yeah, the goal isn't to say, hey, you know, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. Sure. The goal is, how are we going to help this country? And maybe it's time to have an independent vice president who can cross the aisle, communicate, and not be driven by dogma. Now, obviously, the president, who, whichever candidate that may turn out to be, um, is going to still drive the show. But, you know, having somebody with complementary skills as opposed to, you know, just falling in line we need that more than anything and having somebody who can cross the aisle and maybe you know make peace between the parties we need that even more i mean look the whole you know anger thing is coming from the fact that people don't believe their politicians can get anything done and it's not like the politicians are all stupid it's just that in order to stay within your party and that stay aligned with your party there's certain things you have to do and as long as it's so partisan and, and so tribal, it's going to be difficult for any of them to accomplish anything. Insert somebody who isn't, you know, doesn't have to conform to either side. Maybe we get better results. Well, I and, you know, part, part, part two to that is the best, the best 
partnerships I've ever been in have been where the partners complement each other's skill sets, not mirror the other skill set. Well, I for one would like to see Cuban VP on either ticket. Be interesting. <laughs> Certainly <laughs> be exciting. Certainly be exciting. Let's let's turn to Shark Tank. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about that. You know. I was trying hey, to we think. Can, we haven't really busted on Hillary at all. We've got to pick on oh, her. Yeah, well, let's pick on Hillary. Okay. We've so, got to be equal size. Okay. Let's, let's be equal size. So tell me what, what your thoughts are on Hillary. I think she, she has no charisma. She has no media skills, no technology skills, and that's a problem going forward. But I think she's smart. And I think the, that she's done a decent job of defining what her platforms are. But she's done a horrible job of actually communicating the value to people. And obviously with the whole email thing and she, she just, she's, she's afraid of the media and that's showing. She's tried to isolate herself and that's the exact wrong thing to do. She needs to be, she needs to go over the top transparent in everything she does. She needs to be publishing her emails, you know, redacted every time she sends it 30 seconds later, it's on her website. You know, yeah. just just something that crazy so people can start trusting her. What What's amazing to me, I have never heard, you know, whether it's online or in person, so much venom towards a single person. Right. Hillary, you know, it's it's crazy. I mean, even the people who hate Trump don't hate him with as, as much hate, as much venom as, as the people who dislike or hate Hillary. And she's got to start to overcome that. If she's going to not just get elected president, but actually lead and govern. Yeah, she, 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 she's, I've never seen someone quite as polarizing as her. And you know, things are bad on the, on the right when they admit that Trump is racist, but they're still going to vote for him anyway because they consider the alternative worse. Now you have to ask why, right? Why do they feel that way? Is it because of email? No, the email thing is ridiculous. Ridiculous in every, I've installed email servers. I hate, I've installed encryption. I understand it. I'm not an expert, but I understand it. It's ridiculous, right? The whole Benghazi thing is tough, right? I mean, people lost their lives, um, and, and, and that was hard. You know, Libya, going back, that was a no-win situation. But those have become branded events, and it's because of her lack of communication skills, her, her the fact that she isolates herself, yeah. that she hasn't been able to, to break through those things and and overcome the hate. If she was more transparent and just, you know, now she says, I made a mistake, you know, you can't just think, okay, I'm going to make a proclamation and, and admit the mistake. You've got to go out there and connect with people. You've got to go out there and not just give stump speeches. You've got to do as many interviews as Donald Trump does. You've got to show some humility. You've got to show some, hum- you know, be humble from time to time. You've got to go out there and kiss the babies. She has not done any of those things to – well, she has not done enough of any of those things. Yeah. And when you isolate yourself like that and going back to your social media world comment, that's when the hate builds on itself, and that's how we get to you know, all the, the – just how much people just dislike her. Yeah. I mean, polarizing is an understatement. They're so um, – they're like – if you combine them, they'd be the superhero because like Donald Trump has all the media savvy and like he's pure campaigner. And I feel like Hillary is actually a terrible campaigner, but she actually is a capable politician. I mean, she, she's wonkish. Yep. She's Paul, you know, she's yep. policy wonkish, etc. Yep. But if you combine them, you'd have almost have the political superhero. Yeah. And you know, that's why she needs me, <laughs> right? <laughs> to get out there and, and connect and say, look, I've installed email servers. This is a joke. You know, this is crazy and yada, yada, yada. Um, but again, she's got to overcome that. Otherwise, if she gets elected, the whole, you know, every Republican politician is just going to ramp it up even further and the country will go backwards, not forwards. And doesn't matter how, how astute she is politically, it's, she has become like, you know, polarizing to an extreme and it's going to create problems for the countries. And, you know, and so if she, and I'll say this, you know, and it, it surprises even me, but like if she were to pick Elizabeth Warren as a, a vice president, which, you know, takes her even further to the left and polarizes Republicans even more, I would seriously consider voting for Donald Trump. I agree. I, I think that, you know, that would take her further to the left, but I think it would create some excitement on the left. I also think 
it would be more of a risk. I don't think she's inherently a risk taker, which I think is, it would be voting would be ruling against you or Elizabeth Warren being on the ticket because she's very calculating, Absolutely. and I don't think she takes a lot of risk. So that would maybe uh, you know speak to her getting like a, someone that shores up a demographic weakness or whatever. Not someone- yeah, and I can see that. Look, and I'm not saying I expect to be picked vice president. My chances right, right, are right. slim and numb, and Slim just started his car right <laughs> <laughs> to get ready to leave, and so yeah. But, but you, but you, but time- you, are, you are the type of pick that would be bold. I don't think she, see her making necessarily bold. I'd like to be. I'd like to be proved wrong, but I don't know if she'd pick a bold choice like that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that she would either. But some she needs as soon as possible to get somebody out there that takes her more to the center, connects with young people, um, has a lot of charisma, and can send the message that you know we can cross the aisle and get things done. Because by herself, there is no way in God's green earth either one of the candidates if they win, are going to be able to cross the aisle and get cooperation to get things done. And so if we want to solve income equality, if we want to see the minimum wage increase, if we want to solve the problem of health insurance, if, you know, all the above, it ain't going to happen with either candidate right now because there's nobody to cross the aisle and and get people to cooperate. And, you know, if you want to see instability in this country, that can lead to it. And you know, to me as a business person, if I put on my business hat with investments in over 150 companies of all sizes, that's the scariest thing. We don't need more reasons for more Ferguson's. And if we don't start to see some results and some cooperation, you know, it'll be for different reasons, but it wouldn't shock me if we, we saw, you know, some smaller levels of violence, you know, isolated, but still see it because of what's happening politically. Yeah, that cross the aisle world, like, uh, like in, we always hear about the Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan, like they'd cross the aisle, they talk to each other. That seems like an impossibility at this point. It almost seems like we need a new model to kind of have people bridge that gap. It could be someone like you. It could be, it seems like maybe it's, it's got to be an independent. It, may, it seems it's like it has to be, be an out, independent. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's got to be somebody whose future, um, aspirations aren't dependent on either party. Without Otherwise, the baggage, though, without the baggage, like Hillary and Trump yeah, both exactly. have baggage, right? And you need someone exactly. like both sides who look at it and go, well, yeah, he's transparent, she's transparent. Uh, there's no kind of built-in like uh, <laughs> thing that they've done against us. Yeah, and, and that's what has to change. Look, in order – in any company, in any business, in order for something to change, you can't always – you can't do it the way it's always been done. And until somebody has the balls – you know, uh, figuratively speaking in some cases, um, to go in there and say, you know what? It's time to not do it the way it's always been done. Somebody's got to have the guts and, and the gumption in order to do that. Because if you don't change the way it's always been done, what do you get? You get the way it's always been done. Yep. Hey, let's talk Shark Tank. I, I couldn't okay. have you on without talking Shark Tank. <laughs> we, we, can, we can talk politics for I could I could go on forever, but I want to do I do want to talk some Shark Tank. Sure. Um, you know, you I, I don't know how many seasons you've been on now. I was looking at the site called Sharkalytics. I don't know how up to date uh-huh. they are, but they said you've done twenty million dollars in deals, about eighty five total. Um, um, I've closed I've closed I think it's seventy give or take and initial investments fifteen point two million because I just got the stats because we're getting ready to shoot got in a couple weeks and in terms of follow up investments. Uh, probably another five million. How do you judge success? Like, how do you know which one's successful, which one is a flop? Well, you know, I, I invest in each of these companies has a different reason in why I invested. Um, you know, in, in some res- some respects, and this isn't fair to ninety nine percent of my entrepreneurs, but um, in some respects, you know, investing in entrepreneurs is my philanthropy. I think it's important to rep. You know, the reason I do Shark Tank is to send the message that the American dream is alive and well. That, you know, a 20, you know, a 19 year old from Pittsburgh, a 16 year old from Florida, you know, a 70 year old from wherever can start a business and be successful and can get investors or may not even need investors if they don't get a deal. Just sending that message, particularly, you know, Shark Tank, um, we're told is the number one show watched by families together on all of television. And so now, I'm getting questions from parents who say, you know, my, my 12 year old is starting a business. What do you suggest? You know, they're doing A, B, or C. What do you suggest? 
And to me, that's just phenomenal, right? So defining success depends on, you know, is it Benjamin, who's a 16-year-old who's starting Novo, um, which is soap balls so that um, they just automatically degrade when you use them. They, you know, they don't negatively impact the environment. There's no, you know, packaging, the plastic packaging like you see for, for moats, um, shampoo and conditioners, you know, Success for him is going to be longer term. It's going to take more time, even though he's doing amazing things, than it is for an older entrepreneur or an entrepreneur um, like Rugged Races or Tower Paddle who are, who are more, more established and more successful already. Um, so with that in mind, of the deals I've done, I would say you know, at the bottom there are probably six or seven deals where I've had one company go out of business, another two are out of business, and they just aren't smart enough to know it. No, I take two companies have gone out to sell them. Two companies are out of business and just aren't smart enough to know it. And probably two are on last gasp. Um, and they just haven't proven enough for me to invest more money in them. Um, and then at the top, there's probably 12 that are doing really well, you know, making 500K or more in profits. You know, a bunch of, I've, you know, Tower Paddle has paid me back eight, nine, ten times over. I don't even know. Um, 2400 prep expert, um, changing the name to 1600. Um, Sean U. Patel, who's, um, was just on last season, has got 750K in the bank, is getting ready to do a distribution that will pay me all my money back. Um, you know, LA Haunted Hayride is killing it. That was, a, that was a crazy one, by the way. I was surprised you did that. <laughs> yeah, I just because I think experiential entertainment is, is going to continue to get bigger right, and bigger right. and bigger. That was your biggest and, investment too, right? Two million? Yeah. Rugged Maniac, I think, was a million and a half. Um, what else has done well? The 1600 Expert is, is crushing it. Um, Nuts and More has done really well. You know, um, even, um, oh, not um, not me, so um, Misto Coffee um, is doing well, and they've had to pivot. I thought they were going to go out of business. They were smart. They hustled. They pivoted, and, and now they're crushing it. And so, you know, the, it, it runs a, a wide range, but for the most part, and, you know, a bunch of them are killing it, and those in the middle are grinding away, and I think they have a legit future. I was talking to uh, one of your ex-Shark uh, Tank pitchers. He didn't get a deal. You probably recognize the name, Jamie Siminoff. Um, and he, he estimated the value of appearing on Shark Tank, even if you don't get a deal. He felt, for him at least, it's like a $5 million primetime commercial. And it keeps it's the gift that keeps on giving because it gets yeah, syndication. It, yeah. Which is true. Like it's unlike anything else. It's not like pitching to a normal VC because there's this value no even if you don't get it. Yeah, um, particularly if you're a retail product. You know, right, if you're right, a retail right. product, you know, you're gonna get that gift that keeps on giving, like you said. Um and you're gonna sell and if it's an inexpensive product, you're gonna sell even more. Um and it's gonna open up doors if you don't get a deal, wholesalers and distributors and retailers are gonna contact you. So you know, it's it's a win. But the interesting part to me is it changes the calculus for us as sharks because we have to make the determination of whether or not they're what I call gold diggers, right? People just coming on for the PR value, the marketing value, not lo- really looking to get a deal. Um, or perennial gold diggers who just go media outlet to media outlet um, just trying to get PR um, to, to sell their product and not looking to really do the work. But can so, it be both though? Because if I was a, a startup and I hadn't, got of course, funding, it can be both. Right? right? You just—it's just a question. If you're a startup, you know, how hard do you work? <laughs> you know, right, right, right. I mean, I've had companies that say, yeah, you know, it, we're more effective if we just go out and get more press. Well, press—you can't get press forever. You know, it—it—you it, get diminishing returns, and they're not going to want to talk to you. So it's a matter of how how hard they work. You know, a savvy entrepreneur is going to recognize the, that built-in value, the $5 million commercial, yeah. but you're saying it's really how hard they work determines whether or not they're gold. Yeah, and can they lever- you want to use it as a leverage point, not an exclusive way to create revenue. You know, I brought, I brought up Jamie before because it, there are the deals you guys pass on or you, you, you don't invest in for whatever reason. Because I, I what, what, com- what was their company? Oh, a, a Doorbot. Um so oh, they were yeah, they okay. were the video doorbell, and you know for a variety of reasons I recognize that you can't come to terms. Um, there's a, there's another one in the smart home space as well called Unikey, which is Phil Dumas. Mm-hmm. He does the smart the yeah, smart. I know, Phil, yeah, I tried to do a deal with them. Both yeah. of those have been remarkably successful, and I I, I know have they really has Phil, Phil has done well. Phil's done well. He's done a licensing deal with uh, with uh, Quickset, uh, Doorbot, Doorbot, which is now Ring is killing it on Amazon. So. 
They changed their name to Ring? Yeah, they changed it to Ring. Okay. And they kind of broadened the mission a little bit to like being a more of a home security company. But when you do you ever see those guys that go on and be and have success and do you think good for them or do you ever have a little bit of regret? No, I never have regret. I'm, it's always good for them. You know, look, I got I was one of the first people Uber asked to invest and I tried to negotiate and then by the time I got my the second email back, they had gotten ten times more money from someone else. And Travis never gave me another shot, despite the fact that I invested in Travis's first company. And so, look, it, it, if I don't regret that one, I'm not going to regret any of my Shark Tank deals. So we started talking about the smart. Let's talk a little bit about consumer tech and technology. Sure. It feels like the, the tech story this year, at least in my space, and I think pretty broadly, has been Amazon Echo, Alexa. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are excited about voice interfaces. Uh, mm-hmm. are, is this justified? Are you excited about it? Yeah, look, to me, that falls into a whole sensor and Internet of Things category. We're going to try to replace – We're going to, the goal of all technology is to be – to improve the path of least resistance to accomplish whatever, right? Whether it's a sensor tracking something and, and, and doing work for you, whether it's um, Alexa or Siri or Cortana, you know, responding and simplifying um, a task for you. Simplification, I guess is a better way to put it, the ultimate simplification of life is going to continue. Autonomous cars, you know, we're going to get to the point in my mind where our, you know, everybody basically sells their time. And we don't, you know, when, when I came out of school and I think it was the same for you, we looked for careers. Kids don't look for careers. We don't even talk about careers anymore. You know, it's, you may have a, a, a certain skill set and you might have jobs within that reflect that skill set. You might be a programmer. You, who knows? You can be in construction. But you don't talk about a career anymore. In, in essence, our lives are becoming on demand. Our lives are, are built around how we arbitrage our time to somebody else. You know, it, I'm selling my time for a certain amount, and somebody else values that time more, and they're in turn going to get more value of it in some other way. And I think that's changing the nature of work, it's changing how we, you know, it's the same technology that is, that drives consumer electronics and, and simplification there is going to drive all the way through, um, into business and it's going to change the nature of work. So, you know, what we see in Alexa is just a tease for what we're going to see for the rest, you know, and how our lives are, are structured going forward. So this, this, Invisible, increasingly invisible interface, as well as tied to like this idea of virtual assistants as part of a bigger arc towards just kind of yeah. uh, increasing. Yeah, because the end goal is not to say, you know, play this music or turn on this light, you know, or, you know, what's in my refrigerator or order this, you know, whatever from Amazon or, you know, open this file. That's not the end goal. Who's, who's going to, you know, they, Jeff um, Bezos said he had a thousand employees working on this for Echo. <laughs> order stuff? Yeah. No. Right? What's next? Where is it going? Yeah, it's, it's the interface. of life. Exactly. It's the interface to ordering. It's how you're going to order products. It's how you're going to access It's just how you live. Service. Yeah. It's how you live, right? And, you know, segregating all that and how you work, um, it's going to, you know, 10 years from now, it's going to be night and day. You know, it, I don't know what you're going to talk to. Maybe you'll just think it. You know, maybe you'll just clap. Maybe you'll have, you know, who knows how, how you'll connect and, and convey information to these bots. But, you know, the car is going to show up. It may be your car. It may be an autonomous car that comes from somewhere else. Or your your groceries are going to show up. You know, and then you add to this whole process, machine learning, deep learning, machine yep. vision. I mean, I've invested in a bunch of machine vision companies. And so you start saying, okay, this is the habits that, that I've demonstrated with Echo. You know, anticipate what I'm going to want next. And uh, we'll, we'll call it down as, as you get smarter. Look at the things I'm looking at so you know what I'm looking for and where I'm at. Let me give you better contents. Sensors, I've got a company, MotionLoft. All it does is sense and count things in real time around the world. You know, if this is too crowded in this place, give me a better route. You know, it's just, it's just going to change. And, you know, going back, touching back on the political side, how we deal with that, we've got to start thinking about now. Because by 2021, um, when the next president or the, the second term happens, it's, we're going to start 
and we're going to be we're going to have started entering that world and if we don't accommodate it things could turn upside down it could it could get scary because there'll be a lot of people and look I don't want to sound fatalistic but you know it's going to change the nature of work and it'll be more on demand and that's not going to be comfortable for a lot of people just like people who make typewriters people yeah. in Terre Haute Indiana that used to sell 12 inch LPs make and sell 12 inch LPs the nature of work will change people will lose jobs and how we deal and accommodate them and and you know our workforce and social security you know minimum wages that that's all going to have to be thought through. Yeah, you almost wonder at some point if there will be a rise of a almost like a luddite party that is anti-technology. I mean, and can't happen. Can't happen. So you can't don't think happen. that could become part of a platform like the resistance for for example of something no. like like AI? No, it's just like but you'll, you'll see people but, rebel. But, it's but could like you make AI? But what about like making something like AI? Because you know Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking have said you know they're worried about it. But could you make like for example uh, AI like a part of anti AI part of your platform? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, there'll, there'll be things, there'll be masking capabilities, right? So if I don't want to be part of a facial recognition, I don't want to be facially recognized, I'll have an opportunity to mask, right? I can just, you know, wear something under my hat that just whatever. Um, excuse me. You know, and then for people who want to take it to extreme, I'll, I'll have a mirror bot, somebody who mirrors what I'm doing but is a bot, is a robot or something somewhere at office. I mean, that we're talking way out there. But you know, can machines get smarter than us, and will people rebel? I mean, it's straight out of science fiction, but conceivably anything's possible. But um, I don't know. I mean, and look, we're going to have even deeper. We're getting way off, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to have even deeper conversations because with personalized medicine, things like CRISPR, where you know you can edit your your genes, and you know now they're even getting it proteins and RNA. And I'm, I'm far from being an expert in this stuff. We're going to be having ethical conversations about, look, you're not working. You're, you basically can modify yourself. And not only if you modify yourself, well, then you can create people that aren't going to have these mutations. Your, your offspring are going to have, going to have the, these mutations. What's going to happen to evolution as a result? And if we're working with having all these robots working and they're impacting the world, right, that impacts evolution, you know, put aside where technology takes us. Where does evolution take us? That, that it takes us to my next script, to my first script, right? Writing a movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feel, that's the next great movie. You know, it feels like this stuff, the technology implications in our lives is going to be an increasing part of, of the platforms or the political considerations. But maybe if you think about it, they've always have been because we've been talking about, you know, the impact of on like bringing uh, factories back to America. That's a technology issue at its core, really, right? So Yeah, it, well, it, it's a globalization issue and a technology issue because once we get to robotics, manufacturing will probably come back here, right? Because there's no reason to build it using robots overseas and then ship it here. But on the flip side, if we're a global economy, you'll use robotics to build and ship to your local customers in India, China, wherever they may be. Um, but then you have to deal with the fact of, you know, does that create unrest in those countries? What happens to their economy? What happens to our economy? Um, it, it's it's not going to be easy. And look, we're we're talking some way out there sci-fi shit, and who knows if it's a a twenty-year time frame? But you know, in in retrospect, there weren't a whole lot of you know. We only had color TVs fifty years ago, right? Yeah. We you know people were only flying commercially on planes. I mean, when did TWA start? flying, you know, um, planes themselves, you know, the Wright brothers, that was what, a hundred years, you know, 115 years ago. That's it. I mean, you know, we've seen so dramatic change from a technological perspective and we're not even talking about the internet and PCs that are just, you know, 40 years old. So what can happen in the next 40 years? So that my six, what's my six year old son going to see when he's 46? Who knows? But yeah. it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I feel like my kids' kids will be going. You know, they actually used to deliver stuff from Amazon in trucks. No, and it'll not, be even and, crazy. And, and not drones. Crazier. <laughs> it'll be even crazier than that. I mean, like stores? What the hell is a store? You know, over-the-counter medicine? What the hell? Medicine? Like like you bought something that everybody else used the same stuff? Yeah. You know, you, you literally, you know, you got, they gave you a pill? What's a pill? <laughs> exactly. All right. What excite, last question. This has been a great conversation. We've talked a lot about what's scary, but what excites you most about the future and maybe technology? Smart people. 
you know, there's, there's just so many things that are changing. You know, bits are bits, and once you can capture them and once you can process them and once you can add some thinking to them, anything is possible. And, you know, as computing power, you know, increases and speeds up, um, just anything is possible. And so just just talking to smart people, letting letting smart people be smart, and hopefully, you know, we get we stay out of their way. Because and we'll bring up one other point, right? That I think is important. We, you know, we haven't really talked about college and education, yeah. but we're. I think we're going too far. And look, I, college is way overpriced. There's a lot of ways to deal with that. But one of the symptoms of the overpricing of tuition is that we're trying to um, herd people into the the best paying um, uh, majors, right? You know, don't major in that, major in this because you can get a better job. Because of all these things we've talked about that are going to happen 30, 40 years down the line, it's going to be the ethical implications, the the thinking implications aren't going to come from business majors, aren't going to come from finance majors, aren't going to come from computer programmers. They're going to come from the bioethicists, the biologists, the, you know, the, the um, psychology, not psych, yeah, psychology majors dealing with people, sure. you know, psychiatrists sociologists, all these non-traditional, not, not traditionally high-paying jobs, we're going to need the brain power of those people far more than we ever have. And so I think it's really bad that um, we're trying to ramrod people into the best-paying majors because because of the change in technology, we're going to need people who think about things independently. All right. Those are great parting words. I appreciate it, Mark. Next time I see you in Vegas, maybe it'll be like a hologram of Eddie Money <laughs> rather than actually Eddie Money. <laughs> you got it, Michael. I got to run, but I appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot, Mark. Have a great one. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Yeah. That was good. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I know I did. Hearing from Mark on his opinions around politics. I, I, I mean, I mean, this is a person I think who would run for president at some point, would consider it. And so if, I think if he did, he'd actually have a legitimate shot at it. So it's always good to hear what his opinions are. Also like to catch up on Shark Tank, which I think is a unique venue for startups. There's really nothing like it when you combine the financing as well as the exposure you get. So I want to thank Mark. I mean, I'm an independent guy. There's really no reason why he would need to spend time on the phone with me. Uh, but like he said, he actually likes to give back to startups and independents, and I would consider myself uh, one of those. So I appreciate it, Mark. Like I said before, if you've listened to the podcast before, welcome back. If you're new, uh, subscribe, find us on iTunes or any other podcast app. You can also go to technology.fm, find this podcast, as well as a lot of other great podcasts on technology, like home on home tech FM, the smart home show, the smart kitchen show. There's 3d printing today on the future 3d printing. There's a show called makers of sport about sports and technology. Really? There's something for everyone. Check them out. You'll thank yourself. The music on today's podcast is from Paul Tyan, T Y A N. You find them at SoundCloud at Paul Tyan. That's it for now, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>